UVI is really special. And I think the people that I've seen here can really blow me away with just how dedicated they are. This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today, I have Zach and Sam from The Meantime. And you might also know Zach from Group 17. And Sam, you might also know from Run After Rain. Zach and Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So today, we're going to be listening to their song, Board Opposite, Opposite Board. So without further ado, let's listen to the song. Thank you. 
Welcome back. So the first thing that I typically ask is what came first, the words or the music. But of course, <laughs> as an instrumental piece, I usually like to think, okay, what what was the first thing that happened in order to create this song? Was it was there like a bass line? Was there a chord progression? What was the first thing that was the initial part of the song? It's kind of hard to remember. So we started writing it last winter. We were back on break and I had a good friend who plays keyboard and we're like, you should come with us and you should write a song. And so it was me, him, and then our rhythm guitarist, Vanya. And if, thinking back that far, I'm pretty sure that the chord progression came first. I think maybe Vanya was messing around with something and Charlie's the keyboard player and Charlie's like, oh, I really like that. And then started working on that, kind of adapting it, switching it around. And we went through kind of a couple phases of ideas until we got that chord progression that you hear now for the verse and then with the mm. pre-chorus and the chorus progressions coming later and then from there it just grew i believe the way it worked out the three of them did one or two rehearsals without me i must have been on vacation or something because they came up with these ideas and then showed them to me and then i was just sitting behind the kit for 30 minutes not playing a single note just brainstorming how can i transform this idea of theirs into something more almost like a studio drummer would it's funny that you refer to these parts as like a verse and a chorus i mean typically the meantime has a vocalist and mm, has yeah. has singing but as an instrumental piece i just wanted to kind of clarify that for the audience so that they know to expect also a vocalist and that this isn't all-encompassing representative of what the meantime does but that you referred to the sections kind of as the verse and the chorus and the pre-chorus and i had made the verses i called that the main theme okay <laughs> and then i called i i actually for some reason in my brain i thought of it as like this counterpoint because it's just this it tends to be this dialogue between what's going on with the bass and what's happening with the lead guitar so there's like this conversation that happens in in the way that i look at it is that's how i kind of broke up those sections and then i know even within the drum parts you zach you kind of created even more subdivisions in those sections when the chorus gets repeated you change something about the nature of the drumming that creates more impulsion or is a revision to what's happening, you know, quarterly, musically, that kind of thing. You're spot on. I really tried my hardest in this song to evolve each part as it goes on. So a really important part of the song is starting very minimally, not playing any extra notes so that by the time that the second or the third chorus comes around, there's still something new. Without lyrics, it's very hard to introduce new ideas into the listener's head so even the hook in the chorus to make it different sam you can talk about it but he phrased it differently he phrased it i don't know more staccato and yeah mm, yeah with that double chorus yeah, mm, yeah. exactly yeah. just to make sure that i'm calling it out at the right spot too is that so that that's the second time that you do that is that you're referring to mm. so that's uh probably Let's see, where is that? That's at like 235, something like that. Does that make sense? There's a spot there where I, I'm thinking about how there's more of a driving that's happening with the drums and then the bass line. There's this great play between the instruments where certain things kind of take their space. And so like there's a good spot where the 
baseline is getting to be front and center during that spot too yes which i think is very cool lots of space for charlie for you listeners at home just to give you a little more context sam's friend charlie shout out charlie he played a rhodes on his right hand and split up his keyboard so that the left side of his keyboard made a synth bass sound so while he was playing chords with his right hand he was running bass lines which is about the coolest thing you can do musically in my opinion <laughs> is running synth bass lines with your left hand yeah he's uh he's a very impressive keyboard player and songwriter i know he was really attached to that bass line too i think he was a huge fan i think we all were but i remember that was one thing to kind of come out of the song pretty early is that bass line i mean you hear it pretty strong i feel like in that intro and i mean same with that outro i mean the bass is always i feel like a pretty strong presence in the song i'm down to talk about this bass line for hours if you'll have us Ben. <laughs> sure but um I think it was the bass line that introduced the funk into the song. Yeah. Between the tone of it and the phrasing, the way he uh, introduced some of those phrases just in the middle of the chorus, I think it works really well. As far as his right hand, I mean, you can hear it, especially in the verse on those, I don't really know what to categorize them as those like flowing chords come in, maybe halfway through the verse, something like that. It's pretty simple. And I mean, we talked about it with him, like his right hand is really doing pretty simple stuff but yeah his left hand i mean the whole time the bass is putting in a lot of work for sure but i think that's one of the coolest part of the songs is it's i don't know it's a very unique bass line and i really like it although this feels like this might be the spoiler but at the very very end of, oh, of the piece is. where it's just like everything drops out and then the bass is still yeah. in there you're just like it's like the curtain gets lifted and you're like okay all that kind of stuff was going on during the song. It wasn't necessarily right, like, yeah. like all of a sudden there's this great big flourish. No, that that kind of flow in the baseline is happening. So, and, and you know, not to say that that was my favorite part, but I, I love that as an outro because it just leaves the song with like this really high energy in this yeah. weird way, right? Like, so it doesn't just go, Pew! you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so it doesn't just like leave you calm it, you're like, I want to hear more. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, you know, honestly, some of the best songs are the ones that make you want to just hear it again and be like, okay, I want to hear how this sausage is made, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, Sven, we really appreciate hearing your perspective as an outsider because, to be honest, we haven't talked to many people about this song. No, yeah. Maybe just our closest friends. But little fun fact is that the mix that you just heard at the beginning of this episode was not exactly the final mix that we decided on. The mix that I sent you, Sven, we made one adjustment to the final mix, and that adjustment was we turned up the bass in the final three seconds. That final bass run, we turned it up because we want the listener to know the bass is there. And yeah. like you said, leaves you hanging a little bit. Where will that be? Are you going to put it on Spotify or Bandcamp or something? Or It will be on Spotify. The meantime is going to release an EP at okay. the end of the year well hopefully if, if all things go according to plan i feel like these things always take longer than you want them to right sure i don't mean to jinx it but yeah right but um yeah we're hopefully thinking sometime over the summer and this single definitely before that we have a final mix we're waiting for some art to be done for the cover sam would you discuss the difference between this song and our ep please sure yeah <laughs> i mean where to begin with that yeah well um, i just mean that it's separated i i feel like we should mm -hmm. clarify our intentions with this song are for it not to be on the EP as of now because of the keyboard as a new element. We don't want that to blend in with the rest of our songs on our EP. We want this to stand out as 
we're doing something different here. Here it is. And to go one step further, it has a silly name. Board <laughs> opposite parentheses opposite, opposite board. board. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think even, I just feel like it also is, it has a very different tone, I feel like, also from the other songs we've written that we currently plan to have on the EP. But also I think that's like, maybe not a priority, but one thing that I really value about the meantime, and I think, Zach, we've talked about it, and you feel the same of, all of us like so many different kinds of music, and I think we want that to be reflected in the music we make, too. And I think there's a lot to be said for artists who have an album and have a cohesive sound and a cohesive tone and everything. And maybe our EP is going to sound a little bit all over the place. Hopefully not. But I mean, we have a couple songs right now in the works that are, I'd say, pretty different from, especially from the one song we have on streaming services right now, The Blackening. It's a pretty different tone. And I think Board Opposite is a really strong example of kind of that method that we bring of really just trying to make all all sorts of music. I feel like maybe I can back up just a little bit. It sounded like between the guitar and the keyboard, there was already kind of a format forming. There was the next step of adding Zach as the drummer. How did that initially happen? Like, I know you sat and listened through and kind of planned. I mean, I feel like you would have imagined what you would have done, but then in rehearsal that would have evolved so i'm kind of curious about the evolution into the different parts that you create very nice question here's what we did is we took one part say the verse i actually think the verse was the first thing that we looped and we played it non-stop for eight nine ten minutes and after those 10 minutes we'd take a break and talk zach that one groove that went you know, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha-cha, that was really special because X, Y, and Z. And we did this for most of the parts. We got to the chorus, and we would just loop and loop until we found something innovative and something that really just fit in its place. If you were to play this live, would there be changes? Would there be different phrasings? Would there be things? Because I'm curious, you know, you're basically playing with what you would say within like western classical music is kind of like a theme and variation right mm. i'm kind of curious if those themes and variations will change from performance to performance and like how did you finally decide on when you recorded it that okay yeah i like that kind of phrasing the best or or are you consistently performing those both of you like are you performing those things consistently and so it really is just a moot point that i'm making <laughs> <laughs> no no i mean I think if we played it live, I don't know, I think it would definitely evolve as we play it more and more. I mean, that just kind of happens with our songs as it is. But yeah, I mean, as far as kind of things in the song and when it came time to record, at least for me, not a lot of it, but definitely elements of it were I didn't know what I was playing until day of recording. Like even, I mean, it's really small, but I have a little fill in that double chorus where that piano's doing some riffs, I'm doing some riffs. There's like a little kind of call and response thing going on there. When we'd been rehearsing it, I'd been playing all these different riffs and come time to actually sit down and record the song in the studio. I was kind of like, huh, I guess I never really decided which one I like wanted to do. And we started playing the song and I whipped that out, whatever it was. And I was like, you know, it's actually kind of like that that was kind of like a day of thing but then in contrast that solo i <laughs> agonized might be a strong word but i spent a lot of time working on that solo and everything in that solo is very very planned out which i think for a lot of solos it's similar but i mean even in our other song the blackening there's a section where there's some hits and some improvisation and 
one of the riffs there i didn't know that i was playing that until day of really and i mean a lot of our stuff in our live set too and zach can attest to this can be pretty improv heavy and our set is definitely not the same every time definitely similar songs but how we play those songs and if there's a solo section how long that solo section is what i'm playing that solo section tends to pretty much change every time and at least growing up like starting to play guitar that was always really heavily emphasized in my like music education is improvisation especially with guitar and so i really like that element of it and i really like that it's constantly changing even if it's obviously scary sometimes and going into a solo not necessarily knowing what i'm going to play and i think some of that comes across even in our studio stuff in our recorded stuff where i may not know what i'm playing till day of within like a rhythm section like between you know the bass and drums saying i feel bad for the bassist and for the drummer isn't the right words but i always feel like the drummer and the bassist have an additional responsibility that i don't think the guitarist always does which is like you're holding the rhythm and the bass of the song together and then at the same time given the opportunity to improv i feel like that's just one additional burden so i'm curious how you kind of balance that in this song like if you do improv but also how do you think about that in terms of making that balance work because you can't just kind of run off with the rhythm i have lots of ideas in my head right now so be prepared for this response but first of all when we were in the studio one thing that i find really funny is charlie the, the keyboardist he was sitting across the room and as we were playing we didn't feel quite as tight as we normally did so I had to rearrange the the symbols of the drum set, move them so I could see him, make eye contact with him. And I just remember doing take after take of the song and just staring him dead in the eye. Because as the rhythm section, you need to be tight and stable. Right. Tight and stable. Once we had that down, you bring up improvisation. And I think as Sam and I sit here representing the meantime, if you've ever seen the meantime live... I think it's very important that we sit here and talk about improv for a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of our favorite things we like to do in a middle of a cover song is just break it down, break it down. <laughs> we will spend two three minutes really having fun and not knowing where we're headed. That's the beauty of it. It's funny. Elizabeth, our lead singer, will sometimes look back and get mad at me because she has no idea when to come back in singing because I am just... I'm just having fun. So I think that really makes our live sets. Yeah, totally. If I can bring that now into our song, Board Opposite Opposite Board, Sam, you brought up that last chorus. For the listener, I want you to go back and listen to the last chorus about halfway in the song. And that is, I would say, the peak of improv in that song. You can hear that I am no longer minimal. I am showing off my chops and personally impressed with uh what i brought out that day i impressed myself i was like whoa i didn't know i could do that so by halfway through the song we already have amped up the energy just that much through this improv you can almost tell we're having fun with it by halfway in the song i guess your answer maybe kind of already gave me the answer i'm looking for but so in the studio and (laughs) maybe it's insightful i didn't even i'm asking this question right now i didn't even know this but did you know exactly what you're going to play or some of those fills like you said in that in that double chorus where i'm a little more rhythmic and i'm paul muting doing that rhythmic picking like you're saying you did not know what you're playing i had ideas from 
earlier takes and earlier practice sessions ideas of what to throw in there. However, the timing of it all and the even smaller details of how these um, fills connect into each other, that is something that you do not obtain through a couple run-throughs. That is something that you obtain through years of playing and developing fluency. So to answer your question, I had ideas, but I did not know exactly how I was going to use them. Like towards the end, there's an outro. It's like at the three minute mark. And I referred to it as the exploration of the counterpoint and main theme. I'm just kind of curious, how did you all in the recording process and also in kind of the writing process decide on bringing those I guess, already uh, solidified ideas and then the improv. How do you exit this piece with like good energy and that variation? I don't want to call this a jam band, but I can't think of... It has that very jam band moment. Mm. So, if that's all right for me to refer to it as that, because I I can't think of any... (laughs) But but I'm curious about that decision to use that as the outro... Me and Sam are uh, both avid jam band fans <laughs> ourselves. We, we like to have this moment, right? you mentioned right at the three minute mark, of just the flow stops and all you hear is the guitar bend. Wow! <laughs> and your eyes roll back into your head and you just, you just feel. That's, we just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, it even goes back to when I was in high school, I was in a band with Charlie, which is Run After Rain. Now dead and buried but when we were in that band we had played our last show the summer going to our freshman year of college and me and him had grown close over the course of the band and we we're like hey why don't we just mess around and like write some stuff over the summer and a lot of that stuff ended up being really improv heavy because i think just from the music that we like listening to and both and from our musical education both of us really felt like a sense of importance when it comes to improvisation and i don't know i don't really know how to explain it i think that's just always how it's been i mean my grew up listening to a lot of blues my dad was super into blues my whole family and obviously that's incredibly improv heavy later got into jazz and that's obviously also very improv heavy so i think it was not even really a conscious decision with most of the songs we write i think a lot of the time i think it's almost sometimes a given that there's going to be some elements of improvisation. And with this solo specifically, just when we were writing the song, I don't remember exactly how it ended up, but we're like, okay, there's going to be this long section at the end and we're going to have a solo and Sam, you're going to do the solo. And I was like, okay, for the most part, like when we were rehearsing it, I would kind of just mess around. I didn't really have any super concrete ideas until when I learned that the recording date was coming up. I'm like, okay, I have to really solidify the solo and know exactly what I'm playing. I really didn't think too consciously honestly i don't feel like about kind of the tone of the song how i want to reflect that in the solo i think it kind of just came out naturally from playing the song so many times having specific like emotions and feelings that came to me when i played the song and so i pretty much i went home i looped the chords and i would just improvise over it and when i got something that i liked i was like oh perfect i'm gonna throw that in and then kind of arranged it accordingly to what the drums are doing what the rhythm guitar was doing what the keys were doing for like higher energy lower energy and yeah so and that's i guess how that that end jam kind of materialized that's interesting i feel like it's almost a bold decision to just end a song with two minutes of jam <laughs> it's a long solo it's a very um, <laughs> yeah like that's not an easy decision to make when you're 
creating this song from my perspective as the drummer i felt that my job and these two minutes of jam were to make it a journey through different energy levels so that the listener can experience these different feelings throughout every 10 seconds i want the listener to be feeling something different than they did 10 seconds ago and the way i did this was i broke it this two minutes up into intervals of medium energy jam high energy jam and then within these intervals i of course split it up into even more intervals i want you to go back and listen to this jam and listen for the ride bell of the symbol it's if you're not familiar with that, it's the brighter part of the symbol. What you'll notice is that I changed the eighth note that it's placed on. So in the first chord of the jam, it's placed on the downbeat. And then when Sam starts getting maybe a little more groovier with it, I'll place it on the upbeat so that now your head is bobbing in a different way. I was showing this to my mom and I pointed this out and it blew her head because she had no idea that this happened. And... I think it was that bell of the ride symbol that changes how you feel. You mentioning the drums in that solo section. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but for me, I feel like it's almost kind of that unconscious like dialogue or interplay kind of between the drums and the guitar. And I mean, it happens live all the time. Like if we're in some kind of solo section, jam section where you maybe not even like ramp up the energy, make it more intense, but just small changes in your drums, like I'll kind of respond to it and how I'm improvising, like I said, almost unconsciously, which I think just comes from us playing together a lot and like kind of getting that groove of how we interact when it like in an improvisatory setting, I guess. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm proud feeling. to say that after playing a year or two with Sam, I feel as tight as ever. Oh, yeah. Playing together with you like now when we just sit down and jam at a bar or something i'm confident you're confident that we can lay down something groovy and tight those are i feel like two of the best moments live is like we're jamming and we responding to each other's energy and by energy i mean just kind of like even just the dynamics of how loud we're playing like specifically what kind of beat you're playing if you're playing on an upbeat or a downbeat how heavy you're using the kick responding to that and there's every once in a while you get one of those moments where we're just in the pocket and we hit one note one beat together and we, we'll just look at each other and smile <laughs> just like that moment of like that was pretty sweet yeah those are definitely the highlights of my musical career on oh, campus yeah. is those moments looking at sam and laughing because of what we know we just did <laughs> yeah absolutely i'm sorry but if anyone were to be a casual observer and not know specifically that you're playing music it almost hits me like an inside joke right like you you made a joke to each other and you both understood it but no one else would necessarily pick up on that it's just i love music because there's that communication that's happening and then you pick up on another person's rhythm and not just like musical rhythm but just an understanding like a communication yeah. so i think that's kind of cool for a non-musician that's a perfect analogy i would say <laughs> yeah you know i i just wanted to kind of point out what my favorite part of the piece was and then i was going to mention ask you both kind of what your i'm interested part, to hear but, your favorite part um you know i i think that so this actually happens pretty early on in the piece and it it just maybe it's because it sticks out in my mind I call it the call and response part. I feel like this is when the energy starts to pick up. And then, so it's like a minute 22 and it's the staccato part, the mm. palm mute part. Uh, you could even say it's a little bit 
maybe Mercado. I don't know. Anyway, you actually have a lot going on, but it doesn't sound like there's a lot going on, right? So, like, if you wanted to, I, I love pieces of music where if you do that breakout in a crowded room, one voice, and be able to listen to it, this is a part that you can listen to over and over, and it has those moments in it, and nobody's necessarily, like, overstepping their bounds, which I think is cool. So basically nobody's shouting. There's that play with the staccato and I feel like the energy is just starting to really build at that point and everybody's coming in. But then it's like you'll say something with the guitar, a phrase, and then you hear the keyboard kind of respond back. So that call and response that you mentioned earlier, and then you're energy in the drums is starting to build and then it leads back into like 40 seconds later so two minutes in that's where you're ramping up to that chorus it gives this really nice impulsion to everything i think that that's probably my favorite not because it has you know the most crazy things going on but i feel like there's that spot where it's just there's little things that you can you can identify and see that they're kind of playing within and playing with each other. So it's just, I don't know. I, we appreciate that very much. Yeah, so, thank you. So I really like that spot. So Zach, what's your favorite part of the piece? My favorite part is one cymbal crash in the very end of the first half of the jam. So now we're talking maybe 45 seconds from the end and you can hear when everything is coming to a climax and you don't know what's coming next. And then out of everything that happens, it goes back down to something very minimal. I find that change fascinating. The one thing that I did that I thought was so clever, this is the one thing that I overdubbed in this song. This was all, for the most part, one take, except at the end, I said, wait, I have an idea. And he says, how long will this take to record? Like, you know, we want to get out of there. And I say, no, no, it's just one cymbal crash. It's the timing of the cymbal crash. Let me take you through the journey of the mindset of the listener during the cymbal crash. So the energy's high, and then the energy goes low, and you feel this energy low. Cymbal hasn't crashed yet. And then finally, when the cymbal crashes on the backbeat, it doesn't crash on the one, it crashes on the backbeat. For me, that was like a release of all of that pent-up energy from that jam, all in that cymbal crash. You can just breathe a deep sigh of relief out. All that energy comes out in that cymbal crash. I think, is that right? Like literally right in the halfway point where I'm doing those bends and you hit that crash? Am I thinking of the right spot? Yep, halfway from the start of the jam to the end of the jam. Well, Sam, what is your favorite part of the song? I think, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm gonna have to honestly agree with you with that staccato part during that kind of double chorus. There's a lot of parts that I really love about the song, but I think that part especially, I think it's a pretty quick shift. I feel like the rest of the song is pretty, <laughs> I don't know what adjective to use, flowy, whatever you want to call it. But then like right when that staccato hits and I know the drums change too, like it just feels a little more, I don't know, bouncy almost, a little more like rhythmic. And I just really, really like that change. And I really like when we get that call and response to a few seconds later when that keyboard just starts like ripping it i love that i love that feeling um the call and response of that and the guitar i just think is a really cool kind of interplay so yeah that's probably my favorite part why did you pick this song to be the song that you wanted to talk about today 
to be totally honest, I think a lot of it was just logistics. And we have one other song out on streaming services, The Blackening. We, of course, could have talked about that one, but I don't know. This one that was released last April, May, something like that. Spring, summer last year. And this one we're just getting ready to release. So I think it's still really fresh in our minds. I think there's a lot to talk about with it, even though it is instrumental and there's no vocals on it. And we just got like a master of it and we're like, well, this has been fresh on our minds. We've been working on it, just finished it. So I think we have a lot of ideas kind of about how it came about, things we'd like to talk about with the songs. Personally, I thought it would be almost extra fun to talk about a non-lyrical song on a podcast because I feel like it's something that a lot of people might not either understand or appreciate. So... I feel like I'm doing a duty or a service to the music society by talking about a non-lyrical song and hopefully inspire some non-musical people to appreciate these things. And that's why I say my favorite part is a, a millisecond long. It's appreciating these small things that I hope I can share to others. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Sam, what is your favorite Champaign-Urbana venue, past or present? Yeah, that's a tough question, honestly. I mean, I think there's a lot to love about so many of the places that we've played. And I don't know, to choose one is really hard. One of the best ones, definitely the Gallery Art Bar in Urbana, just because first time we played there, the sound guy, I believe he also does sound for the Rose Bowl, he knows what he's doing. And like a problem that we've run into that can be really kind of tricky is being on stage and not really being able to hear yourself and you trust that the crowd can hear you but sometimes it's just hard to know how loud you are if the crowd can hear you if you're like too loud and overpowering but at this venue we could hear ourselves perfectly and that just made it really really fun to play and we were able to like bask in the music just a little bit more because it just was such good quality for us up on stage and they had these projectors projecting these images all around the walls and it was really cool just like these trippy psychedelic like youtube visualizers which was super super cool and the crowd there was pretty sweet too um it was good crowd there but then i mean it's also easy to say like canopy club is an easy go-to that's the biggest venue we've played they have great sound super cool to play on a stage that big but even like some of the diy i mean house of soul sadly no longer with us but house of soul or reds or even concordia have all been 
super, super fun to play. A lot of that is just the people at those places are so into the music and there to see their favorite bands um, or their favorite campus bands and get really, really into the music. So it's hard to pick just one, honestly, but those are a couple, I guess, off the top of my head of my the ones I've really liked playing. Well, Zach, what are your favorite? Sam, I like you bringing up the community at these house venues. That's definitely something special. It's been something where now if we get invited to a house show, I want to go there early just so I can talk to my new friends that I've made through this house show scene. And that's just something really special in my college life is going to these music venues and talking to new different people, lots of different personalities, which is really interesting. To answer your question, I will go with the basic and I will say Canopy Club. The reason being is the sound was magnificent. They had a very professional sound system. The drum set was mic'd up. Every drum, each tom was mic'd up. That's something that you don't get often. They had overhead sound and then also they had monitors pointed at the drummer so that the drummer can hear their bandmates. And this made playing live just that much easier. I felt like I was playing in a recording studio, even though it was the biggest room we've ever played in. It's funny that I say Canopy Club, but not because of the massive stage or the crazy fans. No, the sound was something special. Yeah. I remember you getting up there and (laughs) hitting the kick the first time. I think we were all still setting up and you hit the kick. I was like, oh yeah this is pretty this is pretty sweet what's funny is we set up an iphone to record our entire set in the middle of the floor and visually the footage is hilarious because every time i hit the kick drum the entire room just vibrates and you can see the camera just so the camera was shaking the camera was shaking a little spoiler we are supposed to play canopy club come march 7th so for any of you listeners we'll be playing canopy club march 7th and i believe this will be on the smaller stage which will be something different than last time we've played canopy once and it was on the big stage luckily so now we'll get the opportunity to play a new stage and see how that is I've been struggling to figure out exactly like what does make a good music scene and like even more specifically what makes a good music community. So I'm just curious, what what do you guys think about what makes a good music community? This might be kind of a cop-out answer, but almost like with the venues, I mean, I think there's such an array of things that really can make just like a venue, uh, make a scene like good. And it really just takes like a lot of factors to be there i think to make a scene good and that was one thing i was honestly really shocked by coming to u of i for school like how robust the music scene was because i knew i'd played in a band in high school and i'd played guitar for a while and i knew that i wanted to make music and play live as much as i could but i wasn't really sure what the music scene was gonna look like when i got down there and to get down there and see all these bands and all these venues was really really exciting it's really just like a mix of things i mean i've heard people on the show say the fans which is absolutely true and every day i feel so so incredibly grateful that there are people who show up to see these bands i mean and sometimes it, i mean it makes me wonder i'm like i don't know why people are showing up to see me play like that's kind of weird i'm just <laughs> i'm just some some dude but i mean that's super super cool and makes the community so fun and like zach was talking about i mean just going to some 
house show playing in the basement then afterwards hanging out and talking with everyone is super super fun getting to know people in the community i mean but then also takes like the musicians and people who who want to make music which i mean i think that you can find anywhere and i mean obviously all over the country all over the world people want to make music but i think u of i is really special and i think the people that i've seen here can really blow me away with just how dedicated they are and how talented they are when it comes to making music and playing live i mean shout out manifest west i mean those guys smash a guitar live and I, when i saw that i was like oh my god these guys are really these guys are legit these guys are serious or i mean please heard this band from purdue they have all these props and like a spray bottle with holy water that they're spraying in the crowd and it's really cool to see things that you might expect to see it like a quote-unquote professional show at these like small venues and people bringing props and having this amazing stage presence it's all so cool so i guess again kind of long way to say that i think it takes it takes a lot of things but whatever it takes i definitely think that champagne urban area has it sam i like that word you use dedication i'm going to use the word dedication in a slightly different way but the dedication of showing up and supporting your fellow bands i think the thing that's made uiuc music community the most special to me has been the other bands that we've met coming to our shows even though they don't have to just to watch our set even though they've seen our set five six times already they're just showing up because they want to show their support and dance and all that stuff some specific bands that have showed up for us the meantime citrus soul has been so nice to us they've come to so many of our shows shout out cash only all those guys awesome guys because they just show up for the sake of support yeah nicest guys ever yeah champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support exile on main street Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Zach, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? My favorite non-musical thing is tennis. I've been a tennis player all my life, and I guess I should rephrase. My my favorite non-musical thing is getting better at something every time that you do it. Obviously, I have applied this to my drumming and my musical skills, but this skill that you have to develop for me it came from tennis tennis was the first thing that i ever worked so hard at really put in the effort just because i cared i'm really happy that it showed me how i can work hard at other things and get better at them just for the sake of self-improvement i 
started working hard at this even before I started working hard at school, just to put that in perspective. I think there's definitely something to be said for consistency, because if you go a few months without playing, you're bound to to lose some of that, just like going to the gym, you know, it's all about showing up. Obviously, you want to work hard, but showing up is step number one. I'm just happy that I learned that early in my life because I'm I'm excited to see where this mindset takes me. I feel like it's a very healthy mindset that I've developed. Well, Sam, what is your favorite non-musical thing or things? Favorite non-musical thing is watching movies. Unfortunately, on campus, I don't have as much time to do it as I would like, even though I still try and chip away at it. But especially even just over this past winter break, I mean, I was watching probably at least one movie a day, which I have mixed feelings about. Sometimes I'm like probably be spending my time doing something a little more valuable but it is it's really like one of those things that i can just sit down put something on turn my brain off watch a pretty movie and it really just great decompression for me personally so i'm definitely more of like a recent movie watcher i've tried to do a little bit of my homework and watch casablanca gone with the wind try and watch some of those old classics but for me personally it's more kind of probably 70s 80s up to now especially i try and see a lot of like modern stuff out in theaters i mean Sven, yeah what about you my favorite thing is being lazy part of that actually goes with the caveat of i have to feel like i've earned the ability to be lazy so it comes with all of that feeling of accomplishment and then saying, okay, you've done enough. And I, I don't know if that's, you know, entirely psychologically good because sometimes you just need to give yourself a chance to rest. But to be able to say like, oh, I accomplished this or I checked everything off the list. So now I can just do whatever the heck I want. So I'm going to be lazy. So that's that's why it's my favorite. My, my favorite thing, thing that happened to me this week was on Friday when I finished all my homework. Not the act of finishing my homework, but the act of taking a two-hour nap after that. I can't remember the last time I intentionally took a nap. It was usually <laughs> when I was just like sitting doing something, and then I was just like, oh. And then, well, it's usually like if I'm watching something, mm. you know, I'm in my lazy mood. So, of course, then I'll just fall fall asleep. But that's all right. I'm, I mean, whatever gives you a nap is fine, fine <laughs> yeah. with me. But Sam, Zach... Thank you for being on the show and talking about your piece, Board Opposite, Opposite Board, and telling me about your favorite Champagne Urbana venue, you know, what makes a good music scene, and your favorite non-musical thing. So I really appreciate you coming all the way out here and chatting with me. Yeah, well, thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks for being a gracious host for all you listeners that uh, can't be here in the studio. Sven was very nice and accompanied us with cookies, chips, drinks of all sorts. So we feel very at home here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. This is Zach. This is Sam. We're We're the the meantime. meantime. And we're reminding you. Great music is out there. Go find it where you live.
that's a wrap. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. Do <laughs> studio. <laughs> All you hear is the guitar bend. Wow! <laughs> and your eyes roll back into your head and you just you just feel